Gagne as all-star wrestling goes coast to coast and continent to continent. The greatest wrestlers in the world. He may be an apprentice carpenter, but I guarantee you he is a seasoned ring veteran. I've been hit with bar stools, bar rags, bar mates. I'm talking to you. They're scared that Hulkamania is still running wild. I got a big fat wife and nine kids at home, and I got to feed them. And take a look at Jesse the body in real life. Open your hand once if you would. You want to see it? <laughs> this is absolutely unbelievable. Totally, completely out of control. He's coming in over the top. Hey, look out! Welcome in to AWA Unleashed, the preeminent number one podcast dedicated to telling the stories and reliving the memories of the American Wrestling Association. My name is Chris Tubbs, adjusting my camera. And if we did, uh, no, somebody just, somebody's already uh, asking me about this week's podcast, guys. And dude, we're, we're recording it, okay? It's not out yet. We're, we're literally recording it. Relax. People love this podcast. I love it. I, I love it, but chill the fuck out. <laughs> Jeez. Well, no. It, Morning, you, guys. You've assured that now. You've uh, he, he's, he's chilled out. He's yeah, he's totally chill. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Relax. It's coming. Welcome in. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Between that and the recording button kicking in like a half second late. Mm -hmm. So if you were listening to the open or watching it, whatever, and it you didn't get the first like half second of the open. Yeah, the, the recording button didn't click in. But hey, guys, we're here. We were talking a little bit before the show. This is episode 92. I'm not very smart, but that tells me that we are about two months away from doing show 100. And that would also put us at around the beginning of the calendar year. And I, I'm we've thrown around an incredible idea that I am, I think people will just, I think they'll love. I can't believe we're, it's, it could happen. It, I, it, it could possibly happen. I'm not going to say any more, but I think that's, that's been quite a, quite a morning with some of the ideas that are percolating. Yeah, absolutely. But the only thing I would say is with that great idea that people are going to love, give Joe at least 30 days notice before, uh, you know, he's, He's shit can, you know, that way, you know, he's kind of a, he's kind of a sensitive guy. And, I'll take uh, 30 seconds. I mean, <laughs> I don't need 30 <laughs> days to, to be given my pink slip. <laughs> oh boy. Oh man. I was thinking 30, 30 seconds. I don't know what I was thinking. No, we're hey, guys. All yeah. yeah. Hey, awesome. hey, hey, uh, thanks Chris Curtis for last week. Oh, what, a, what a great guest he was. That was fun. Yeah. It, the stories that I don't think you, know, you look, you're like, okay, well, what kind of stories can, you know, some of these people tell, like you hear Chris Curtis and I was instantly enthralled with what he was saying and the way that he told his stories. And there were so many clips when I was getting ready to post it, there were so many clips that we could have used. So, so good. Like absolutely phenomenal. Down the road, Chris, you and I have talked about it. We'll bring Joe into the conversation too, when we're off the air. Uh, we're going to uh, do more than just acknowledge uh, some of the carpenters of the business. We've got some ideas, and, uh, you know, the, it, it, it's time for their moment in the sun, and we're figuring out a way to give it to them. Uh, 
uh, besides being on the podcast. So yep. uh, good things ahead, folks. Yeah. Despite the fact that they have to listen to us for the next hour. Well, that's, you know, that's torture. That's waterboarding. <laughs> Motorboating? Ver- no, ver- no, no, no. Verbal motorboarding? <laughs> Sorry, my microphone, uh, my windscreen. Okay. There we yeah, before we get going, guys, uh, do want to thank. You can see the uh, the big nipple. Hey, uh, show me. Yeah, there you go. Tweak. So bigger every week. Uh, massive. They, they start. They started here, but now you know. <laughs> they started. Well, I think there's a cure for that. But if you wanna, if you wanna wear a, a customized hoodie like the big nipple. Like uh, Joe Chupik, go Hold to on. us. Get, just get, give me a minute, will you? Okay. Okay. Oh, good God! All right, that was that was fun. We're gonna. Re- nope, nope. That's we're not gonna do. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> go to sodastick.com, uh, you guys. You can get yourself a, a personalized hoodie. I'm gonna put the information up on the screen. Uh, it's so cool though because you can get a personalized hoodie with your name inscribed right there. They do run a little bit small, so size up. Uh, SodastickCO.com and go uh, unleashed. It, you know, we're getting into the cooler weather, so it's great to rep the the uh, the AWA Unleashed Army podcast, all that stuff. So it's yeah, it it really is cool. I've got one. My daughter's got one. My wife's got one. Mick's got one. Joe's got one. We got like people. Uh, you know, keep keep repping the army. Yeah, you're doing the whole. Well, I'm trying to figure. Because Baron would come out, he would have his red cape on, and he would yeah, have his foot on. Then he would do the march. I just don't think mine is conducive to doing that. Anyway, go on. We're off to a one really good minute start. remaining. One, one minute, minute remaining. <laughs> so yeah, do uh, do thanks Soda Stick, uh, and also Seventh uh, Avenue Pizza. You guys, I know that we uh, we haven't given them the shout out at the beginning of the shows, but you know now that again. If you're looking for something quick, easy, but doesn't taste like it's quick and easy, uh, 7th Avenue Pizza, they've got a great pepperoni and meatball pizza. Their breakfast, brand new breakfast pizza is awesome. Uh, 7th Avenue Pizza.com. They, they, they could rename that uh, Karch Pizza. Quick and easy, meatball, perfect. You know, I'm still getting over that jobber announcer crack from last week, so... You know, let's, Mick, let's just, I have told, I have given you the utmost respect. You are the Rocky Mountain Thunder of announcers. You are the, well, no, I won't even say it. I was going to compare you to somebody else, you know, in the production booth, but even I have minimal standards, but I, I still have some standards. So. No, 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 no. Standards are out the window. You're on a podcast with oh, me. That's- I'm a, I got to go get my popcorn. Hold on. This is getting good. <laughs> <laughs> that's all, right. all good. It's all good. We got a yeah. good show today. Got some good questions. Yeah, we do. We, we've got a, another no DQ&A. And before we get to it again, one last thing I'm asking you guys, uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel if you haven't already. Uh, leave us a rating, review, anything you do like that. It, it helps to the algorithm and it helps us grow. And you know, we've got some really cool ideas that are coming down the pike. And I think you guys are really going to like it because I feel like we're here. But we've got some ideas I feel that can even take us even higher. And I'm really excited for where we're going to do, uh, where we're going to go with it. So, uh, th- all right, guys, we're about eight minutes into it. And we've lost all six viewers. So this is going to be... <laughs> 
this is gonna be for us. All right, we're gonna entertain. Our, we're gonna entertain ourselves. Six viewers. Wow, numbers are going up. I know. This it's like the um, it's like the very last days of the AWA. We're drawing a full house. <laughs> wow. You're like my ex-wife. You're spitting there, Mick. Stop it. Just keep. <laughs> oh, good God. Just keep the hard cam away from the crowd so people, you know, figure we're playing with the <laughs> How come we got the same shot of the same person nine times? It's dark in the minutes. house. Dark in the uh, house. Yeah. All right. Let's, uh, let's, uh, speaking of the later stages of the AWA, uh, here's a, a, a question from Russ Schoberg. This is for you guys. When did the AWA start doing fundraising cards around the country? I know at one point they had a show in Northern Colorado in late 86 or early 87. I will tell you that uh, even in, in my formative, formulative years with the AWA in the dark ages, they were doing fundraisers on a, on a local basis. Uh, Eddie Williams, the promoter in St. Paul, did an annual card for the Sheriff's Boys Ranch uh, benefit. Uh, Vern would do uh, promotions and benefits for the Amateur Aid Fund. Uh, plus, they would go around the horn some of these spot shows, you know, for a local you know, VFW or, or kids organization or whatever. As far as the nationwide expansion, maybe Joe can kind of touch on that a little bit. Well, it was right about the time, about 86. And the the whole, um, you know, doing the fundraising cards was a real simple answer. It was based on the fact that the AWA was starting to go downward and tying in to do a fundraiser just helped justify, if you will, people bringing in the AWA for a local uh, for local shows. So it became more prevalent uh, around 80, 86-ish, but certainly later in 87, 88 and, and beyond. Uh, it was it was a way again to try to get more local house shows, give the boys an opportunity to get a payday uh, and to do it for hopefully what was a good cause. There you go. I, I do like the idea of doing a fundraiser as part, you know, I, I feel like that's a really good tie-in because I, it's a way to continue to get your name out there, but it, it also is very philanthropic. Philanthropic. Yeah. Well, what do they call uh, philanthropy? Philanthropic. Philanthropic. There you yes. go. Okay. It just, it sounded really weird when I tried to say it. Keyword being tried. Uh, this is for me. When are we going to have Mean Mike Enos on the show? Hold on a uh, sec. I got this, Chris. Sorry. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Very you good. Have, uh, yeah, that was, you have the sledgehammer. That was, that was great. <laughs> I'm sure he has a lot to say. There you go. I love it. I, I would love to get Mike Enos on the show. I, I really would. I know we've, kind of we've bantered it about there's a lot of names that we've talked about putting on the show and you know it's again it's a matter of working out out schedule wise but i would love to get mike enos on the show i i know there are so many stories that he could tell us but i feel like it would be a very entertaining and informative show the the invitation is out there to mike enos whenever we can make it work Last time I saw Mike, I believe, Joe, you were there, too, as well, at uh, Midwest All-Star Wrestling Show uh, a few years back. I believe Mike is living in Florida, and I'm sure he would – you know, he might freeze up on camera. 
You know, he's he's not used to uh, being given an opportunity to speak, let alone for an hour. But uh, there's me, my great guy. I've known him since he broke into the business and uh, would love to get him out. I'd like to get Wayne Bloom on, too. You know, certainly both members of the destruction crew. But You mean uh, it's not, not at the same time, though, right? I mean, because then Mike would never talk. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it, it's kind of pointless to have them both on at the same time. Mike would look like a, you know, a, a picture hanging in a museum. But uh, it would be a lot like the three of us. Kind of, kind of, yeah. And uh, him not saying anything would be more entertaining than the three of us too. But yeah, let, let's get uh, let's get Mike on the show sometime soon. Yeah, I, I, yeah, absolutely. I would love it. Uh, the next one for you, Mick. Whatever happened to Boris Zukov? This is from uh, Len Hathaway. The, the other one was from uh, Nancy Nicholson about Mike Enos. Uh, from Len Hathaway, whatever happened to Boris Zukov? Is he still with us? Uh, thanks, guys, for your hard work. Love the show. Chris, I know you've got two pictures of Boris. I would I will put his in-ring uh, persona picture up there first. and then Yeah, more- thank you, because I couldn't figure out to do it chronologically. There thank you, you for explaining that to me. Yeah, yeah, you, you <laughs> couldn't tell the difference. Um, Boris is living in the southern part of the United States. I've seen where he now is uh, making some appearance, uh, some appearances at fan fests around the country. There's Boris. Uh, Jim Harrell, a.k.a. Private Jim Nelson, a.k.a. Boris Zukov. Uh, one of the nicest guys that I've dealt with. Uh, dry sense of humor. And, uh, you know, like Chris Markov says, look at the size of a man's head. And it was <laughs> he did have, huge. He did have, on him. Um, have you got the, the more recent photo of uh, Boris? I do. I'm uh, putting it up as we speak. And I get to admit, that doesn't, that. Yeah, it doesn't even look like Boris. Doesn't even isn't, look like that him. isn't that something? But uh, I'm not used know. to seeing him without that facial hair. Like, I I don't know. To me, it's like Boris Zukov has that, yeah, the, the bald head, I the, the hat, and like no facial hair. His head doesn't even look that big there. You know, no. once he got the, maybe, maybe it was all the, all the beard that made his cranium look so big, but Boris is a great guy. And again, living in the Southern part of the United States, there's another guy that I would love to get on the show. Always had uh, good times with Boris. One half of the former AWA tag team champions, of course, along with sold on Houston. Off. I loved his um, Russian accent. Yeah. When he would do a promo, uh, it, it certainly sounded Southeast American yeah. Russian. It happens, you know. No, no. You know well, some... every yeah, but but every company or con- com- every country's got their own certain dialects, though. Like, I mean, not not everybody is going to sound the same. So, I mean, I I don't know why you're going to make those kind of assumptions. There's different. Yeah, I'm sure there's Southwestern Russian. There's Midwestern Russian. Northeastern Russian. But there's so, not Southeastern American Russian. Well, there can be. Don't well, argue with Chris. It's, 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 <laughs> but uh, yeah, let's get Boris on the, on the show. Great guy. Loved working with him. And uh, let's make that happen. All right. Uh, I will uh, I will use your connections to, uh, to make it happen. There you go. <laughs> this so is from you. Dan. What? Oh, connection, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Connection. Okay. Sorry. This is from Dan Stazak uh, for Joe. Uh, he thinks he remembers Don Morocco coming in towards the AW, towards the end of the AWA against Larry Zabisco. Who was the crowd rooting for? Oh, he's Morocco, of course. Nobody likes Zabisco. Uh, I from a in ring performance thing. I mean, 
Z wasn't going to get put over as a baby face. Uh, certainly not at that point. Uh, so bringing in Morocco, big name, it was a very easy decision, not only for the office, you know, for the bookers, but certainly for the crowd as to who they're going to cheer for. In this case, the magnificent one, Don Morocco. And it's interesting too, Joe, I mean, you were there and that was a time when the AWA was kind of throwing things at the wall to see if they would stick and, you know, bringing in challengers, excuse me, for Larry, uh, whether it was Morocco, Nikita Koloff, Harley Race, you know, all these one-off guys that would come in uh, just to kind of try to, you know, pop the crowd a little bit. But of course, at that point, just wasn't working. Well, and and as great as the talent, uh, as great as the names were, they were all on the latter part of their careers as well. Um, being cast off by that point by the WWF. Uh, not saying that they still didn't have talent and name recognition and everything else, but like every name that was brought in, it was just too little, too late. Morocco, one of the greatest heels ever, by the way, in in wrestling. No question. Agree. Yeah, let, let me ask you guys this. Uh, you know, when it comes to, to Larry, did Larry, was there... Could he ever have worked as a babyface? Because I mean, Mor- Morocco to me is always a heel, but I feel like out of the two of them, Larry would never, ever be able to. Larry Zabisco wouldn't work as a good guy. Well, Larry, when he started his career, of course, he was a babyface, uh, you know, and uh, well, yeah, and I, mean, then, I mean, yeah, I mean, like after the turn was with Sam, yeah, after the yeah. turn with San Martino. Oh, once he was established as uh, as a heel. That was Larry Zabisco. I mean, that was his wheelhouse. And, you know, you, you can't call people spudheads and insult Kent Herbeck and uh, WCCO uh, TV's Pat Miles and half the state of Minnesota and expect to be cheered when you came out to the ring, let alone stalling for 20 minutes uh, when you came out. But uh, one of the great talents ever. And, yeah, that was kind of a gimme question. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. <clears throat> Nobody was going to be cheering Larry Zabisco. Um, I agree with everything that you said, Mick, but I'm, I'm going to, I think, no, not think. I know that Z had enough talent in him that if there would have been a, a turn that he could have pulled it off. Oh yeah. With, yeah. W- without a doubt. I mean, how many heels, if Jerry Blackwell can become a baby face, Larry Zabisco could have. Agreed. Just my two cents with Z, in my opinion, was just that good. No doubt. Uh, Mick, I got the next question. Oh, Chris is back. But I'll take this question. So one of my buddies from... Okay, Joe, you can handle this. Hey, I I got this, Chris. You got this. One of my buddies from Indianapolis says that Bobby Heenan managed Baron Von Roschke at one point, but I don't remember that. Was this a regional pairing? Thanks. Love your shows, guys, from Kyle Sturdevant. He did, in fact, manage the Baron, uh, not in the state of Minnesota, not in the AWA area. This was in Bruiser territory. And uh, it, it was quite a pairing. You know, Bobby, Bobby's uh, managerial expertise wasn't limited to the AWA. You know, he managed the Baron. He managed guys like Ernie Ladd. He managed the Valiants. 
So, you know, but again, this is in uh, either in Bruiser territory, Bob Luce territory in Chicago. But uh, yeah, if you were a heel and you could be uh, getting that Bobby Heenan rub, not that the Baron needed it, but uh, it, it was gold, no question about it. So there you see a mustachioed Bobby Heenan along with uh, the George Clooney of professional wrestling, the Baron. Mick, I got a couple of questions for you. Two-part question about Bobby. And the mustache, because I got so no, many we'll questions caterpillar, about the Caterpillars out of this. One, what year did Bobby start? And two, do you know who he first managed? Wow. Okay, I'm going to guess, and again, this is just a guess, that Bobby probably started early 1960s, uh, but I couldn't necessarily tell you who he managed. I know that he managed Chris Markoff and Angelo Poffo uh, early on as the Devil's Duo, but I believe in early 1960s, and, and uh, Bruiser, of course, was the one that got uh, Bobby involved in the business. Yeah, it'd be interesting to figure that out. I was just... Popped into my head. I was just sort of curious about it. He was in the business a long, long time, Bobby. Best to ever do it overall. Said it before, yep. I'll say it again. Yeah, I, I I don't think anybody can question that Bobby Heenan was the best overall performer ever. Uh, here's one from Oren Silver for me. I love your podcast with my media background. Did I ever think about tag teaming with Nick at the broadcast table? Uh, is the podcast going to be represented in Waterloo next summer? You know, we've talked about it. I And again, I, it sounds like it's all just kind of blowing it, you know, just kind of like giving you some ambiguous answer. Uh, the fact is we have, you know, we have thrown around the idea of doing a podcast in Waterloo. It, it's, again, it's just a matter of, of everything lining up. I think there's interest on their side. I know, I think there's interest on our side. It's just a matter of making all the particulars work. So I, I would like to do it. I know people... When we're in Waterloo, we always get asked about the, the podcast. Uh, as for tag team at the, the broadcast booth, I know that's also something, Mick, that has been – it's been proposed to both of us. And, again, it's just a matter of making it making it work out time-wise. You know, I'm, I'm thinking back, Chris, to the days when I was uh, doing SNR. I was working for any number of promotions uh, doing uh, broadcasting. Uh, the local independents, and so much of that has changed. I mean, it's it's uh, so you're kind of limited right now. I'm working for Midwest All Star Wrestling. Period. Boom. Yeah. Um. So so our uh, our buffet has gone down to a you know kind of a one course meal as far as you know our options for doing broadcasting commentary together. But I would be more than up for it. I think it would be a great pairing, and uh, you never know. Never can tell. So both of you close your ears because I don't want you to hear what I'm going to say, but I have approached the two of you about being a commentary team for another local uh, indie league. And I really do. I wouldn't have approached you guys if I didn't think that you could do it and do it well. Um, I would like to see it, you know, being on a production side, we'll see what mm -hmm. I can do. And uh, you know, See what happens in the future. That's all we can do. Okay, you can uncover your ears and listen to me again now. What? Huh? Huh? Next question. All right. Let's uh, let's get on. I, I, I didn't hear a word you said there, Joe, because I was trying to be So nice pretty much like every podcast. Pretty much. Huh? What? Yep. 
Hey, uh, for you, Joe, whatever happened to DJ Peterson and how is he to work with? This is from Gene Stepka. Uh, DJ was phenomenal to work with. Uh, very high energy. Uh, his promos were were good. His in ring work was was great. His uh, he had a great look. Um, loved working with DJ. Sadly, DJ got killed in a motorcycle accident um, down in Missouri. If I'm not mistaken, it might have been from uh, where he's from, um, from the St. Joseph, Missouri area. I think Mick. Don't correct. If I'm wrong, you know, I'm just going by memory. But no, uh, sadly, DJ got killed in a motorcycle accident. Um, I believe it was in the late 80s, maybe early 90s. That would have been late 80s. I remember getting the call. Mercy Darusha um, uh, called me about that. And uh, a shock, very sad shock, because um, I really, I, I, DJ had it. I thought he was a Tremendous talent all the way around. One half of the very last AWA Tag Team Champions, along with uh, Del Wilkes, the Trooper, and of course had a had a great angle in the AWA where uh, Medusa Michelli uh, was forced to be his valet manager for about thirty days. Uh, but uh, a great, great guy again, and a tragic loss for the business. Way too young. Way too young. Yeah. What was he like? 30, 33? Yeah, he was, uh, you know, in the prime. He had a lot of yeah. years ahead of him in the business. Yeah, and I've said, you know, I've gone on record as saying I was not a fan of the Trooper gimmick, but I did like DJ Peterson. Like, I, I could like one person, but not the other. So, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, I like DJ Peterson. I really, really did. Uh, this is from Paul the Dragon Olson. Uh, who was, this is also for you, Joe. Who was worse in the ring, Silo Sam or Rocky Mountain Thunder? Oh, my God. Um, you love this one. I love all of the questions that the fans said. I mean, they send in. They're, they're certainly <clears throat> pertinent. Um, my, my hesitation is how to answer it because they were both awful. Um but who was worse in the ring? I'm, I, ring I'm technicians. Worse. Ring technicians. Well, I'm going to say Silo Sam was the worst wrestler. There's a reason that he was in battle royals and not individual matches. He was a Hollywood actor. He was in Pee Wee's Big Adventure. He was not a professional wrestler. He was a gimmick that was brought in. And as the promoter, as Vern quickly <laughs> discovered, we're not bringing him back in again. Now, as far as Rocky Mountain Thunder goes, the argument could be made that he shouldn't have been in the ring, period. He was stiff as hell, hurt people, uh, couldn't call a match. Uh, probably the worst matches that I ever had to watch and be involved with on a production side. Uh, again, that was a match and I technically a battle Royal is a match, mm -hmm. but it's not, you know, it's, you, you've got other guys in the ring and you just don't need to be uh, a ring technician. <laughs> yes, <laughs> like that's, that's, that's what, that's what got me. I put the picture up and it's funny because I said ring technician 
not even realizing that that was on the picture. And I'm like, oh my God, it really says ring technician. Well, on the I, I can tell you somebody added that text in post graphics, the, the Rocky Mountain Thunder, Denver, and then a size. That's the official graphic uh, that was used when Rocky Mountain Thunder was at the showboat. And somebody creatively and, dare I say, rightfully added in the joke of ring technician. That be like, was his name. Was his name uh, Smallish Joe? Oh no, 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 no! It wasn't I, you. I, okay. I, 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 I'm not smart enough to add in that kind of a quip. Um, Rocky Mountain Thunder. Uh, would give Lou Thez a run for his money as far as scientific wrestling talent. I would kind of disagree with you, Joe, as far as who was worse. They were both horrible. It's like, do I want the stomach flu or do I want food poisoning? Um, Rocky Mountain Thunder hurt people in the ring. I mean, he legitimately could have crippled some guys. Silo Sam just kind of stumbled around and, you know, did nothing. Um I would go with Rocky Mountain Thunder, but again, oh my God, do you want do you want the pimple in your nose or in your ear? You know, it, it, it's kind of that uh, that kind I of. Thought you, I thought you would say with them, you'd say in the rear end. Yeah, yeah, but that's an insult to rear ends. I think that would be a brain tumor on Karch. But you know what? I you know they always have fantasy wow. bookings. How'd you like to have Rocky Mountain Thunder against Silo Sam as a as a main event? Sorry, <laughs> right. 60, 60 minute Broadway. I yeah, yeah, of course, six minutes. I, and I'm not exaggerating. I honestly think Mick, you and I could put together a match and present a better match than what the two of them would have been able to do. And yeah. nobody would have gotten hurt except for the people watching us. That's true. If their if their seats were facing the ring, then they're screwed. Yeah, but uh, yeah, let's let's keep going because these two clouds have had enough time, haven't they, Chris? Well, no, I was just gonna say throw a fatal four way in with a uh, giant Bob and Bulldog Bob Brown. Oh, but hey, at least those two could wrestle earlier in their career. But I know what you're talking about. Yeah, that Wrestle Rock match was as bad as it got. Yeah, well, Rocky Mountain Thunder. It it sounds like a bad generic pop, you know. You go and then you, you can't afford you, you can't afford the brand he or a or a Colorado disease. Let's go from two uh, two individuals that were you know ring technicians to two individuals that were legit technicians and two of the greatest of all time. No question from Mister USA Tony Harlson. Uh, this is for you, Mick. His two all time favorites are Nick Bockwinkle and Harley Race. Greatest champions ever. Did they ever team up? They absolutely did. And uh, not not here in the AWA area. They did a lot of teaming up in Japan. Uh, and I would I would absolutely agree. I think that uh, Harley Race and Nick Bockwinkle, when you're talking about the all-time great champions, there you go. Um, they, they're, their uh, combination in Japan was over huge, not only because of their talent, but because of their reputation and uh, their legacy. What a great picture that is. Uh, that is absolutely, you're talking about a whole hell of a lot of talent in uh, in one frame there. And Nick and Harley, I would have loved to have seen them wrestle in person. Uh, you know, even in the latter stages of their career, they could go 60 minutes where, uh, you know, guys that were new to the business couldn't, couldn't stay with them. 
And uh, thank you for the question. And again, uh, Nick and Harley, legendary, legendary. If those I, I, two aren't in every top 10 list of all-time wrestlers, the list is invalid. You know, when I got these pictures, I know that, you know, we kind of got this, you know, Mick to Joe and, and then Joe to me and I load him here. There's another picture that I want to bring up, guys, in, in all seriousness. This might be one of the best pictures we've ever had for a Q&A because you talk about the talent with Nick and Harley, and I think you guys know where I'm going with this one. This is absolutely you, – you look at all four of those individuals, Nick, Harley, and the Funks, it does not get any better than that. It does not. And again, that's Japan. And uh, the Japanese wrestling fans and wrestling crowds were treated to a lot of stuff that I would have salivated for here in the States. But look at that picture. As you said, you got Harley going, you know, almost nose to nose with Terry Funk. Uh, Dory is kind of holding uh, Terry back a little bit. And Nick standing there with that Nick Bockwinkel abused uh, condescending look. That says it all. Four of the greatest that ever lived. And, man, those Japanese wrestling fans, that they had a gold mine. Is Dory still with us? Uh, yes, he is. Uh, yeah, I think Dory is, yeah. So he's yep. the only one left out of that that uh, that yep. photo. <clears throat> Very rarely am I at a loss for words, but the only thing, the first thing that pops popped into my mind when I saw that photo is just legendary. Yes. I mean, those four guys – the millions of people that they entertained, not only entertained, but mm -hmm. as Nick Bockwinkel told me when I first met him, they did their job well. Phenomenal. That, I mean, I could watch stuff like that. I almost said a bad word. I, I could say stuff like that all day. Like it was Don't be great... shitting on us, Chris. Oh, fuck you. All right. So let's go to uh, question 11. Uh, this is for everybody. Worked for a health insurance company in Minnesota for many years. And I remember Stan Kowalski would always come out and talk on behalf of the United Way. Such a passionate speaker um, from Helen Marks. Her husband said Stan had a rich history in wrestling here. Any chance you could devote a podcast to him? I would be all for it. You know, uh, it, it's, it's sad to say, you know, I mean, I know what our demographic is and I know a lot of the fans who even go remotely old school uh, will remember Stan in the latter days when he had a, a talk show segment on the AWA network. And even going back before that, when he unfortunately had to be called the big K um, Stan Kowalski, I've said many times, one half of the AWA first world tag team champions along with tiny mills, but outside the ring, there was no more benevolent charitable caring, incredible, tireless individual uh, than Stan Kowalski. And uh, I would love to devote a podcast to him, maybe get his uh, his daughter and his, <clears throat> his son on the podcast. So many stories about Stan, not only as a wrestler, he had a run with Bruno Sammartino uh, out in Madison Square Garden when Stan was using the name Crippler, Carl Kovacs. Uh, a lot to talk about, especially outside the ring. One of the greatest human beings I've ever met, and that's a shoot. Uh, you certainly knew him a lot better than I did, Mick, and I was there during uh, 
Big K's corner. And no, he didn't really care for it, but it got him on TV. He enjoyed yeah. doing the spot. He just hate, hated being called the Big K. But I agree with what you had said about he he was one of the nicest guys to work with. I don't even, I don't remember him. He was more in the sixties, you know, and I was born in 65. So he predated uh, my, my wrestling fandom, but the interactions that I had with him uh, working and later at the Kenny J histiocytosis fundraisers, outstanding human being, just that, that sums it up for me with Stan, just outstanding person. Let's do it, Chris. Let's, you know, somewhere down the road, let's give uh, Stan another another standing ovation. Yeah, I, and the way that you guys talk about him, I, I don't, I'm kind of like you, Joe, that it was before my time, but just hearing you guys, you know, talk the, you know, what you know, and, and you know, Mick, you know, maybe knowing a little bit, you know, going back a little bit further. Yeah, I feel like it's one of those individuals. That, do you feel that maybe he just gets overlooked in the whole annals or history of the AWA guys? Absolutely. There's no question about it. And, <clears throat> again, because you're talking, you know, Stan's greatest years in the AWA were in the, you know, early 60s. Um, you know, late 50s, early 60s, wrestling Vern Gagne, what have you. So by the time Stan was managing guys like Kobayashi and Ivan Koloff, his in-ring days as a wrestler were kind of coming to an end. Uh, but he was a great no-nonsense competitor, uh, could talk up a storm, loved cutting promos, and he had an edge to him. And, uh, yeah, let's do it. Let's honor Stan Kowalski down the road. You know, something that you had said earlier, Chris, about how you felt that a lot of the um, the guys that predated you and I are guys from the sixties. And yeah. um, for a lot of, hopefully there's some younger viewers who are tuning in to uh, learn about the AWA and uh, some of the other legends and stars. I like to think that we're helping to keep some of those memories alive. And that's part of what the podcast is. It's, yeah, it's great it point, beyond great just the AWA. It's the talent that came into the AWA and if we can share even a little bit of the history, these guys deserve it. It, it saddens yeah. me when some of the younger wrestlers today don't even know who Luthez was. Right. And he's our, I mean, he wrestled in seven different decades, you know, one of the all-time greats. So hopefully we can bring some of those Memories back for those that do remember and maybe create some new memories for those that do not know. Amen. Yeah, I think I think you said it perfectly, Joe. That was one of the reasons why, you know, when, when I came up with the idea for the podcast, I, I knew just a very, very little bit about the AWA, maybe from the mid 80s you know, to the end. And I didn't know about the heydays, you know, the, the 70s, you know, 60s. And this is an opportunity and kind of to go back to what you were just saying there, Joe, that it's a chance to really honor and pay homage and, and acknowledge and maybe bring where we can learn more. Cause I can always learn more, but to, to bring these individuals to the forefront and maybe they'll get that respect that they deserve and maybe they won't be overlooked. Perfect. Perfectly stated. We're, this is the, this is the place 
This yeah. is our uh, this is our Hollywood Walk of Fame for these guys. So yeah, we'll do it. Okay. All right. This one's for me from Vic Casey. Um, probably been asked of us before, but what are the chances of getting Greg Gagne on the show? It seems logical. I know that, yeah, again, I'm going to give you the same tired answer. And I know, Joe, you've got that little grin on your face because this is something that we were kind of talking about even before we, we came on the air today. The, the wheels are in motion. We've got things that were, it, they're just... There are certain things that we have to do and it's, it's all got to line up. And I mean, that's something that we have bantered about. I think since we started the show, you know, Greg Gagne has kind of been one of them that we've, we've wanted to get on and it's just a matter of making all of the particulars work, but it's definitely, it's definitely something that I think is interesting to all of us. And I know that I seem to be getting this question more and more. I've noticed that too on the emails and, and the chats and, and uh, what have you, the, the DMs, people want to hear from Greg and uh, Chris, you're, you're going to be a miracle worker here. And I know that uh, Joe, you work very closely with Greg in power town and uh, we'll get him on the show. And because he is, he's AWA and I love this picture. This is from Cauliflower Alley. That, of course, is the High Flyers, Greg on the left, Jim Brunzel on the right, and the legendary Lance Russell. Yes. Great. Oh. Now, I, if, I, if people don't know who Lance Russell is, kind of tell them it. Because, I mean, we all know, and I would hope that most of our, our uh, fans would know, but Lance, Runs, Lance Russell was a precursor to Mick Karch in a different territory. Lance Russell, one of the greatest of all time. There's an argument to be made that he may be the best, uh, depending on what part of the country you come from. Uh, Lance Russell, of course, so closely associated with Jerry Lawler and the Memphis uh, promotion, uh, could call a match. He was a great straight man. He could have that consternation and that uh, that horror when a heel did something, uh, you know, outrageous. But that's that's just a terrific picture. Had an opportunity to meet Lance at that CAC for the first time. It was an absolute honor. And uh, unfortunately, he's no longer with us, uh, but one of the greats, as is Greg Gagne. And, uh, you know, if we can get Greg on the show, that that will be a very interesting minimum 60 minutes, probably going into 120 minutes or better. So yeah, let's let's do it, guys. So one comment about Lance Russell. You described him perfectly. What I loved about him is he was his delivery was as a sports announcer. Yeah. It wasn't he he hyped, but he did it in a sports announcer type of way the way wrestling was at the time um similar to the way marty o'neill did interviews there wasn't a shtick with marty he was the stick man had his dark sunglasses on uh, and lance was the same way he delivered it as a sport not sports entertainment if if you want to see a great promo and i know we're you know and I, going to be going a little short on time here, but watch Lance Russell uh, interviewing Kurt Hennig in the Memphis TV studio years back when uh, Kurt was feuding with Jerry Lawler and Kurt systematically tears the studio apart, 
threatens Lance Russell. Uh, it is absolutely a gem of a wrestling angle and a wrestling promo. So, uh, you know, check it out on YouTube. It's out there. All right, let's go to the next one here, guys. Uh, this is for both of you from Cookie Barnett. Uh, I think Ray Stevens is recognized as one of the greatest ever. Do you think he would have made a good AWA heavyweight champion? Ray Stevens, had he been a singles competitor when he came into the AWA, would have been a great champion. And I'm not talking, you know, in lieu of Nick Bockwinkle. When you talk to the veterans of the business, the people who have been around or the guys that work with Ray, they will tell you he was absolutely one of the all-time greats. A ring general, a great heel, a great baby face. He did it all. Would Ray have been a good champion? Yeah, I think as a, as a heel, had he come in as a singles wrestler, he would have been a great champion. But almost immediately when he came in, they aligned him with Nick Bockwinkle. And uh, the Bockwinkle and Stevens combination, again, to me, the greatest tag team in wrestling history. But this guy, Ray Stevens, is a Hall of Famer in every sense of the word. And, uh, you know, so much that followed Ray, uh, as far as flips into the turnbuckle, whatever it might be, uh, Ray Stevens was the master. He was the wizard, and uh, God love Ray. The man who got coming off the top rope banned in the AWA with his no. bombs away. Um, I, I don't disagree with anything that you said, Mick. Ray, uh, truly one of my all-time favorites. Ray was Ray was an old teenager. He <laughs> never ever grew up. And I've said it before that guttural laugh, infectious, addictive and always made me smile. Here's what I'm going to just digress a little, not digress, but divert from what you had said. Incredible in-ring technician. I think the reason that Ray wasn't given the belt, besides the fact that, you know, he was tagged with Mick or with uh, Nick, but he was tagged with Nick, in my opinion, only because he wasn't, his promos weren't as strong as a Nick Bockwinkle. Could Ray have carried promos to be, to be the world champion? During that time and era in the late 60s, early 70s, yeah, I think so. Later on, I don't think so. Despite the fact, you know, Ray was older and so forth. I his mic skills were not horrible. They were very good, very admirable. They certainly weren't a Nick Bockwinkle. But again, that's, there's a reason why he got tagged with Nick and Ray. Mm -hmm. And he, got, Bobby, he says, you know, that I, I don't like Larry Hennig. I don't like his wife and I hate his dog. Uh, <laughs> you know, that, that to me is a promo. And again, one of the great promos ever. Ray Stevens did not say a word. He was being interviewed by Vince McMahon in uh, the old WWF TV. And Ray did not say one word during the, during the promo. And it, it's an all-time classic. Again, it's out on YouTube, so check it out. God love Ray Stevens. I love the one line when he would talk about uh, Billy Robinson, the cockeyed coal, cock -eyed coal miner. Coal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Sometimes less is more, guys. Sometimes less is more. Uh, this one is for you, Mick. Uh, we got three more left here. We got about 10 minutes or so. I saw a video where you interviewed Buddy Rose's daughter on SNR. It was hysterical. Uh, please share the infamous Buddy Rose cheese story. That is from Jen Fritz. The Buddy Rose cheese story has nothing to do with pro wrestling, but it has everything to do with Buddy Rose. Uh, Buddy was just starting to get into the business. And he was training. I can't recall if he actually had started wrestling or not, but I know he was, believe it or not, trying to put on weight. Imagine that. Uh, but Buddy at the time weighed about a buck eighty, and he came over uh, to my place and to uh, watch some wrestling tapes. And he said, "You know, I, Mick, I'm kind of hungry. You know, you got something to eat?" I said, "Yeah, go to the refrigerator and you know help yourself." Well, help yourself and Buddy Rose and food. Is not a great combination. Uh, there's Buddy uh, and myself in Windy City Wrestling back in about 1988. So Buddy says, okay, I appreciate it. The man came back to uh, the living room to watch the wrestling tapes. He had a block of Velveeta cheese. You know, Velveeta used to come in in those, or maybe still does, in those blocks. He had the, the tinfoil unwrapped. He's eating the entire block, probably 16, 17 ounces of Velveeta cheese. And in his other hand, he's got a gallon or a half gallon of chocolate milk, which he has also opened the fresh milk. And he's going from one to the other. Take a hunk of Velveeta cheese to the milk, to the cheese, to the milk. Needless to say, I was out of Velveeta cheese and chocolate milk probably within about 10 minutes. And Buddy Rose was well on his way to 217 pounds. <laughs> that is the incredible diet. Velveeta, yeah. <laughs> you will never weigh more than 217 pounds. The man ate 217 pounds right there, Joe. Oh my. I, you know, I, I, I did that old double take, you know, Elliot. You know, I looked over and I, I'm sorry, I'm a hospitable guy. I don't have. Yeah. A lot, but when when a guy says, "Do you mind if I take something to eat?" I don't mean going with a steam shovel and excavating equipment and demolish my refrigerator. Well, but he, that's, was, uh, he was uh, doing you a favor. He's taking the calories away from you. That's true. And, and I mean, what if, what if you were lactose intolerant? I mean, he's getting rid of your dairy for you. You know that that that's you guys are both right. And of course, I hearken back to that SNR interview I did with him when I asked him about his training regimen, and all of a sudden, Buddy pulls out a Hershey bar and uh, <laughs> starts munching it on SNR, and he says, "You know, a lot of people, you know, work out with weights and you know vitamins, and uh, you know the chocolate is you know spewing out." So, uh, Buddy Rose, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> oh my gosh uh for you guys were blackjack lanza and bobby hena good friends outside the ring did jack live in minneapolis this is from harold tracy from what i saw when they were together bobby and jack got along really well i don't know uh if they were great friends outside the ring i know that the chemistry was there uh, I would say that Jack and Bobby were probably a little bit closer than Nick and Bobby were, uh, only in the sense that Nick kind of did his own thing and, and uh, Bobby did his own thing. Uh, there you see early on uh, Black Jack Lanza and Bobby Heenan. As far as uh, Jack living in the state of Minnesota in the Twin Cities, yes, he did. 
Uh, he was a Minneapolis resident, uh, you know, went to De La Salle High School and uh, then lived in Bloomington, Minnesota. Uh, towards the tail end, he lived out on Rich Road, uh, coincidentally, in Bloomington. And uh, great guy, Jack Lanza, Bobby Heenan. But as far as, you know, uh, close friendship. Now, there, you know, th this is really something. This, I think, goes to how close they might have been. Bobby is actually checking Jack's mustache to see if any of the shoe polish uh, from Jack's head has actually dripped down into Jack's mustache. And that is not just a manager. That's a good buddy. When he went from, well, he was always black Jack Lanza, but when he went from heel wearing black to a baby face and wearing white, I popped because a, I could not stand the Heenan family as a fan. I admired them, but to see that turn because I despised black Jack Lanza when he was with the Heenan family. Again, I was 10 years old, you know, <laughs> during that time, but that turn, and this was before the Blackwell turn, that turn was probably the biggest pop that I had gotten that one. And, you know, Ray leaving the, the Heenan family in Swatnam, but great guy. Um, Jack was uh, worked with him very minimally. He left early on uh, for the WWE when uh, uh, I started with the AWA. And again, it was one of those um, uh, post Russell Rock exits, and there was a few of them. Mm -hmm. But nice guy, nice guy. Sadly, he's no longer with us either. Legendary tough guy. Yeah. All right, the uh, last one here, uh, this is from Craig Allen Daniels for you, Mick. Uh, as an announcer and photographer, what was the most precarious position you ever found yourself in? Oh, boy. Um, I've interviewed some real strange characters. And, of course, as a photographer at ringside, took the heat from Bobby Heenan when the lens cap wasn't off my camera. Uh, but I would say the single most precarious position that I've ever been in uh, since I've been doing wrestling announcing. Chris, I, I, I believe you had a have a, uh, a photograph there. Yeah, uh, this, uh, th this might be the best picture ever. You know, sometimes you got to do what you got to do, you know. And uh, nobody said that being a wrestling announcer was going to be easy. There were going to be hazards of the business. There were going to be some roadblocks. And unfortunately, or very fortunately, as the case may be, right here, uh, that's our good friend ODB. Uh, she is consoling me, I believe, at, at uh, one point there. Uh, that was a place that right there uh, where I could have certainly rented space, uh, put down a, a deposit, maybe signed a, a five-year lease. Uh, but, but again, precarious in many, many ways. Uh, that, that, uh, that, that's probably it right there. You know, Mick, I've known you for a long time, and I thought I knew you pretty well, but mm -hmm. I never knew that you had a career as an airbag inspector. There's a lot of things you don't know, Chupik. And, and that's, uh, let's you know, keep it that way. Yeah, yeah, the airbag inspector. That that that, that certainly I majored in that. In uh, I thought you were going to say you uh, were going to buy a motorboat. Well, you already did that a little bit earlier on. Uh, <laughs> it still fits motorboats the way you do, there, Captain. I, I <laughs> there you go. Uh, God love Jesse Creasa, though. By the way, 
Uh, ODB. Yeah, she seems to, she seems so fun. Just like oh. she seems like she just gets it. You know what I mean? And I, hey, I got to throw out a plug. If you've not had the chance, she's got a couple of food trucks. Oh. Phenomenal food. She's at local uh, in Minnesota. She shows up at some of the indie shows. Uh, she'll she's going to be a part actually of. Uh, uh, MAW's uh, yeah. Grand Slam coming up. Uh, she's actually going to be wrestling there, but I wouldn't be surprised if she has some representation of her ODB food truck. And I'm telling you, phenomenal food. And and ODB is ODB. What you see on television is what you get. There's yep. no nonsense. She is honest to a fault. Bam! 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 Somehow, when you do that, Joe, it's just no comparison. To I've that. had an accident. My bags are deflated. Yeah, you had an accident, all right. Yeah, but about anyway, a year ago, I became part of this podcast. Wow. Hey, wow. <laughs> wow. Man. And I was going to apologize for accidentally dropping the F-bomb on you during the middle of the show. Oh, bullshit. Never apologize for that, Chris. Never. Never. <laughs> All right, guys, got about uh, three minutes here. Let's give some shout-outs and uh, and wrap it up. Uh, Mick, why don't we go to you? There's this kid, Brett Karch, and uh, Brett is actually going to be celebrating a birthday uh, this week when this podcast airs. And uh, my son, and I cannot tell you how proud of him I am in so many ways. Um I get all teary-eyed here talking about him. But the, the, the smartest thing he ever did besides marrying that beautiful wife of his uh, was staying completely away from getting involved in the wrestling business. But, uh, Brett, I love you, and uh, happy birthday, son. I'm going to stay on the same theme, the family theme, and I'm going to put my shout-out to, as I'm looking at the graphic, and my son's name, first name is spelled wrong, but that's operator error. I'm going to go with my son, Alec. Chupik. Uh, he's growing up, huge wrestling fan. During uh, Monday Night Raw, we would wrestle during every commercial. And I became the Kenny J of our household during that time. A um, couple of times um, that knee landed in the wrong area, son. Um, but uh, anyway, Sticking with the family thing, and I'm doing my shout-out to my son and listener, Alec Chupik. And that is totally my fault. My fat finger. No problem. Hey, that name's been butchered, first and last name for years. Well, I well, I didn't even put mine on there, but, I mean, since we're going with the nepotism theme, you know what? I'm going to shout-out my kid, too, then. I'm going to shout-out my daughter, Hannah, because she was the 1,000th subscriber of our podcast. So I'm going to put so her name on there. Your your daughter Hannah okay. now will forever be referred to me as T B D. Oh. Well, that's what wow. I, that's what was on the graphic. You know, it's like, hey, Hannah, yo, T B D. Hey, she, to be decided. She doesn't she doesn't watch. Uh, she that, just subscribed. She doesn't watch. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, and again, we don't care. You know, hit the subscribe button. Yeah, we don't care if you watch. We don't care if you watch. We just want you to subscribe. Uh, you, know, you know, go ahead and do whatever, but just hit that subscribe button. Change that uh, algorithm, you know? Yes. That's that's what I'm saying. And uh, you got anything else you want to say, guys? Um, other than the fact that next week we're going to take a look at the AWA champions who don't get quite the recognition. 
as the Nick Bockwinkles, Mad Dog Vachans, Vern Gagne's Crushers. There were probably 19, I believe, AWA champions over the years. So we're gonna we're gonna take a look at some of the lesser known title holders in the AWA. Do we have to do Autovance? 